house church in the Fiji Islands. So I can picture people sitting around on our floor as we sang that together. You can turn to Romans 8.28 or in your Bibles or in your minds. Many of you know this verse by heart. There's an older couple. Uh, husband had been experiencing some suffering, some symptoms, and so he, uh, they went to the doctor and ran a bunch of tests, and then the doctor asked them to come back <clears throat> to explain what he found. Uh, the wife had to be there because the husband couldn't hear a thing, you know, and so she had to interpret everything the doctor said. So the doctor begins by saying uh, he has a very, very serious infection, very serious Husband said, what do you say? She leans over and says, he says you're very sick. The doctor said, now we do have a medication, take care of this infection. We find it's effective sometimes, but what really makes it work is if he can just reduce his stress. He needs to basically live a stress-free life while he's on this medication. She's like, well, like what? She said, well... First of all, let him sleep in. Just let him sleep. Don't wake him up. Let him stay in bed as long as he wants to. When he gets up, make him a good breakfast. You know, what, what, whatever he likes, good hot meal. In fact, for lunch and dinner, do the same thing. Just whatever his favorite thing is. Uh, fix it. Cook it for him. For, you know, put it on the table in a nice manner. You know, presentation's important. Want to reduce his stress. Some of you ladies are already laughing. <laughs> and he says, in fact, don't fuss, don't argue, don't fight, don't have a do, you know, to-do list. Just, just, you know, just, just kind of cater to all his needs. Just let him live a stress-free life. In about six months to a year, he'll probably recover. The husband said, what did he say? She leaned over and said, he said, you're going to die. <laughs> uh. Stress and struggles. We've been talking about that. All the stresses and struggles of life in Romans chapter 8. And how do we handle all these things? We're in the middle of a chorus of groanings because we're immersed in a sea of sufferings. And Paul said in verse 18 that our present sufferings, what we're going through right now, cannot be compared to the future glory. And even though that's certainly true, it doesn't diminish the pain that we go through. And we don't mean to demean the pain and the suffering that we go through. But it does place our, our sufferings in a, in a proper perspective. We see them the way God wants us to see them. And so the creation, it says, groans. And it says that we groan. And the Holy Spirit joins in with those groans. And so all the groans and the sighs of waiting in expectation, really for a curtain to be raised. And, and, and the show is really on, not over. This is over, but it's, it's going to be a new and glorious life a new heaven and a new earth 
face-to-face with God. All these different ways of saying it. And our suffering, though, is not futile, and it's, and it's not, we shouldn't even view it fatalistically, like, well, it's just what, whatever, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. But this passage shows that we're going in today, shows that there is good being worked out in the middle of all this suffering. And so we read it together where he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Probably the second most known passage. The first is John 3.16. But this is well known. It's in the top ten if it's not the second. And we have to remember that it's not standing alone. We, we memorize it standing alone. And we don't really connect it to the verses around it. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to tie it into its context. And once again, as I said last week, we have a linking word. All through this chapter, Paul links thought after thought. And he says, look, I said this, and now I'm going to say this, and therefore this, and moreover this. And he just kind of links it all together. And he does the same thing with this first word in our English language, and. And he's tying it to the previous sentence. And that's a good translation. You can say and. And means it's connected to the previous translation. But it's a strong word that means moreover or indeed now. So it's a stronger word. Or, or it means on top of all this. Or next. So you get a stronger sense of excitement and building to something grand than just simply and. And he's just said... We don't know what we should pray. We don't know what we are to pray. Often what we think we need to pray is not the best. We pray for something we think is the best, but we really don't know. We don't know what the best is. And we understand that in our own experience. We can look back in our own lives and we see that. One person told me a few years ago that he was blessed in not receiving a huge amount of money. He went to court. He was supposed to get this huge amount of money. It looked like he was going to get it. And he said he was blessed in not getting it because afterwards, years later, he thought back and looked at his life and said, if he had received that money, it probably would have destroyed his family. But at that present time, he was praying for what he thought was the positive Uh, settlement that he would receive that money and so the spirit takes our prayers we saw last week and actually aligns them puts them in the right words he he presents them with words that that are unutterable he prays with us so that God's will will be done and so our prayers in weakness and our prayers of weakness both are presented in a way that lines up to God's will So we don't need to be afraid that our prayers will some way conflict with God's will, that we're praying the wrong prayers. You just focus on God and you focus on him and doing his will, yes, and you pray what you think is best and the Holy Spirit will take it and then it leads to the good that we'll look at today. And he starts out with this interesting two words, we know. We know this. How do we know this? 
you, there's several ways you can know something. You can know something through experience. You know ice cream tastes good because you've tasted it. You know it. And you know your wife loves you because you've experienced how she's acted towards you when you were very unlovable. So you know she loves you. That's the experience kind of love. We can know something through logic. We can know something through reasoning. We can mentally grasp something and we say, yes, I know this as a fact. I know my fingers are dry because I can't turn my page. <laughs> I experience that. And through wisdom or through insightful evaluation, you, you come to know something. It is a process some, sometimes. Uh, you can know by observation. You observe something. You intellectually know something because you've, you receive knowledge. Maybe it's through teaching. Maybe it's through uh, uh, someone showing you something. There's lots of ways to know something. And previous Paul said, we don't, we don't know how, what to pray. We don't know what to pray. But here he says, but we do know that God works all things together for good. And I've talked to a lot of people who say, well, how do we know that? I don't know that. And yet he says, we know it. And he's saying, this is, we know this. We don't necessarily know from experience. If you look at your own life, there's some areas that we can look back at and we can say, I see how God worked in my life. I know. I didn't know it at the moment, but I now look back and I say, God worked that terrible situation out for good. And so we can know it that way. But there's a lot of things in life we look at and say, I, I don't know how God is working that out for good. I wouldn't repeat that if you paid me to. Now I, you know, so some of us struggle with some things that, no, we don't actually see the good in it. And this is all encompassing here. He says, all things, all things work together. We could say, I see how some things work, but how do I see all things work together for good? And we wonder how God can take evil, evil, and how, how can he take sin and work it out for good? Some things, even those horrid things in our lives, we may be able to look back and say, yes, God worked that out for good, but in that area, I just, I don't see it. I don't, I haven't experienced it. So how can we know something without necessarily experiencing and seeing it? The word know here is tied, is related, I don't know how you say this, to the word see. In other words, see. In Romans chapter 1, verse 11, Paul says, I want to come there to see you, physically see you. And this word is, is linked to that word. It's a, it's a related word. Uh, and so do we know this where Paul says we know all things? Do we know it because we see it? No. But there's a different time, type of seeing than physically seeing. You physically see me right now. I physically see you. But there's another type of seeing where we mentally see, see something and we can get to the point where we say, oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. So that's why it's tied there in that way. And this is that, that kind of know where you can come to know something and you can say, I see what you mean. And so that's why we look at the Bible and we study and we talk through it together. And hopefully at the end of this, you'll say, ah, I see what you mean. I know all things work together for good. 
Let me give you an illustration. I, I had the hardest time today remembering my brown paper sack. I don't know if it's a sack or a bag or a uh, sandwich bag or what, I don't know what you call it. I almost left it at home. I almost left it in the truck. I almost left it over there. But it, it came here. Do you know what's in this bag? Do you know? And most of you will say, no, I don't know. So you could look at it and say, well, it's a sandwich bag. There's a sandwich in it. Or there's nothing in it. Or there's an apple in it. You could say a lot of different things. But you'd be guessing, and you would never say an elephant's in there because it's, you know, of course, too big, unless it's a little plastic elephant. But you don't know what's in there. I'm going to teach you, hopefully, give an illustration of how you can know what's in there without seeing what's in there. Now, let me up the ante a little bit. I have a little needle here. Let me get it. Everyone here, can you see my needle? It's a pretend needle, but it's a needle. <laughs> because what I'm going to do, if you get it wrong, if you, don't know what, if you don't know what's in that, I'm going to come over and I'm going to poke you with my needle in the arm. All right? There's going to be pain associated with it. If you say, I'm not going to guess, boom, you're going to get poked. All right? You've got to know what's in here in order not to get poked. All right. So who here just wants to take a guess and then we'll look, and if you're wrong, I'll poke you. <laughs> no, no one here wants to do that. If I were to tell you, there's a sandwich in here. Who here would say, okay, there's a sandwich in there? Uh, don't raise your hand, because some of you know, I, I like to play tricks. I like to do some things that... Kind of, what do you call them? Uh, what? what? No, I, I, want, I want, yeah, I want to, sometimes I like to fool you. And you know that, so you're, 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 you're going to say, I, I, no, I, I, I don't trust you, no. And so, I, as I was thinking of this, I wasn't just going to use myself, and I thought, well, that's probably a foolish thing to do. And so I thought, well, who here... Would you all trust, even if you don't know this person personally? But most of you know this person. And so we're going to, I sent a video. It was, it's going to work, okay? Listen carefully to this. Hey, everyone. I put a card in the paper bag for you. Mmm. Okay. That's my mama. For those who don't know. When my mother, and I told her what I was going to do, I was going to poke you if you got it wrong. Do you believe my mother? All right, yeah, Jim, right away. There's a video going, she's watching right now. Who doesn't believe my mother? <laughs> uh, all right, we're going to poke you. If we're, if, here's the thing, though. Now, if there's not a card in here, you get poked. But who here knows? Put my needle up. I've been holding that needle for so long. <laughs> Who here knows there's a card in there? You guys. I didn't say you said, all right, everyone who didn't raise their hand, you're going to get poked <laughs> if there's a card in here. 
There's going to be pain. If there's a card in here, you're going to get in trouble. Lindsay, that's your grandmother. Do you believe her? Two hands up. Jim, no doubt. Really, it goes down to this. Do you trust her? I know here's the problem. Some of you say, yeah, but you took it from your mother and you transported it here. I know. So you engineers. All right. Yeah, I guess I'm going to lie you. Okay. That's a whole other lesson about trans, transferring of information. Okay. That's a whole different. Let's assume I did not do anything like that. That I brought. I, I, and this is true. I'm telling you the truth. She, she put the card in there and I, I, I folded it up and I have not opened it since. All right. It's been in, it was in my truck, and it came over here, and I didn't give it to anyone else. Now, surely you believe my mother. And you could say, yeah, I know there's a card in there. And that's the kind of know that we know. It's based in, it's really based in faith. Someone you trusted says it's in there, and you trust her. And you believe it. And you can say, I know. I, I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it. But I know there's a card in there. I, I, I believe it not subjectively because I feel it and I want to believe. It's not that kind of belief. It's, an, it's, a, it's a, not an inward type of belief that I don't have a clue why I believe. But I believe there's a card in there. It's based in facts that you trust someone who said... There's a card in there. And so we have this objective knowledge. It's based that the scripture has told us, and that's where the transfer, and do we trust this written word, that it actually came from God. And so that's the other subject that we're not going to go down on. That God who created all things, God who is all-powerful, this God that sent Jesus his son, he raised him from the dead. He has an ultimate plan that we're moving all, moving toward. We know that he's good. We know that he's just. We know that he's kind and love. And thus, because this God who keeps his promises said all things work together for good, we can say, I know it. I don't see it. I don't experience it. But he said it. So I know it. Some things you don't get to know until way later. So you, I'm not going to show you. A bunch of people who won't raise their hands. <laughs> well, and that is part of the illustration, too. We, we, you won't see that. Until you come into glory, you won't see it. But you know there's a card in there. How many of you are going to just keep thinking of that card the rest of the time? Yeah, okay. For you, I'm going to show you. I will. I'll show it to you. The illustration breaks down at this point because this means you're going to glory. All right? But here's the card. And she wrote on it. I love and miss you all. You are special. She wrote that to you. I said, write something to the church. That's what she wrote. So now... You know it by sight and not by faith. So he says all things work together. All things work together for good. 
and my question is, well, where's the focus in this? Where, where should we place our focus? First of all, is it in the things? All things work together, and it means everything. Every single thing works together. The painful things work together for good. Things that are overwhelming work for good. Things that happened before we were Christians work out to the good. Things that are confusing work to the good for those who love the Lord. Nothing is outside God's control. But that's not where the focus is. What about in the work? This, this work is the blending together, working together, the blending together. Each thing coming to, together is, is kind of like multiple gears that you have this gear way over here is moving because this gear is moving this gear that's moving this gear that's moving this gear and all things blend together all things work together for good uh, another illustration maybe like a sports team that's just clicking they're in the zone they're working together just perfectly everything's fine they're just throwing that ball and it goes the right place the right time it's just clicking everything's working to to good but it's not in the work what about in the good? That's where we like to put the focus. We know this isn't for our comfort because all things don't work out for our comfort. We know we're not always comfortable and we're not always safe. So it's not the good and safety. We're not talking about safety here. We're not talking about financial gain here. And it's a good that we're going to explore a little bit in a moment. But it's not the focus of this sentence. The focus is here. God. God works all things together for good. And so in our struggle, in our weaknesses, we don't focus on the things. We don't focus on the workings. We don't focus on the good. We focus on God who does that. Our faith isn't grounded in the things happening around us. Lots of things are happening, and we're not to look at those things and see how they work. It's not, hey, let me see how God is working, all the workings that are going on. It's not the good. Oh, I finally got the good. That's where we're focused. But our faith is in a God who is the worker of all things for good. He's greater than the circumstances of life. He's able to blend everything together and move them toward good, whatever that good is. And if our faith and our hope is in the things and the work and the good, we're going to be disappointed. We need to be focused in God. Only God is big enough and powerful enough and wise enough to work all things together for good. And he says he does this to those loving God. This is another way of saying Christians. All throughout this passage, Christians have been described in lots of different ways. He speaks of Christians as people of no condemnation, verse 1. Uh, those who live according to the Spirit, those in Christ, those adopted, they're children of God, ch uh, child of God. All these ways are saying, we're talking about Christians here. And so in verse 8, uh, verse 6 of chapter 8, he says, their mind is controlled by the Spirit. Our minds are controlled by the Spirit. And if our mind is tuned in to a loving God who is love, then our minds are going to be tuned into loving God. And love, I don't know, I said this awkwardly, but that's okay. I say a lot of things awkwardly. Love is a characteristic here rather than a current condition. And what I mean by that 
it doesn't mean that, and this is what a lot of people struggle with, to the degree I love God is to the degree that he will work good in my life. Good hasn't come out, so I must not be loving God enough. So I need to love God more so that I, the good will work out. And where's the focus there? Is the focus on God or you loving God? The focus is on you. Uh, I'm just not doing well enough. And that's not the, the structure of the sentence. If that were true, that every person who died for the Lord, every martyr that died, died because he didn't love God enough. We'd say, well, you know, he, that didn't work out for his good. He got eaten by a lion. No, it worked out for the ultimate good. God doesn't punish you because you don't love him enough. He doesn't say, well, because you're not loving me enough, I'm going to lessen the good in your life. And if you love me more, then I'm going to increase the good in your life. That's not what that is. This is character, the part of your character. And I know we don't always love God perfectly. You know that scripture, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And your neighbor is yourself. We say, oh, yeah, yeah. And I look at my life and say, do I love God with all my heart? I want to, but do I? All my soul? I want to, but boy, I have a divided soul sometimes. All my strength? I'm kind of lazy sometimes. So, even the, 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 that ideal of loving God that much, and I want to love God that much, and I even try to love God that much. But do I do it? No. Our love kind of waxes and wanes. It's up and down. Depends on what's going on in our life sometimes. We don't always express our love like we should. We want to express it right, but we don't. But when all the chaff is blown out of our lives, and we just get down to me in God and if I can just put everything else to the side I can say yes I love God I do I wish I, I did better but I do between me and you God between God and I <laughs> I do I love you my heart's desire is to be with you I want to be with you my, I recognize my strength only comes from you. And as my strength waxes and wanes, <laughs> I know that you're my strength. My only hope lies in your mercy and grace. I have no hope. How can I not love a God that all I have to place before him is what he's given me? the blood of Jesus. That's all I have. And he takes that and says, that's enough. That's good. That's what you come before me with just covered by the blood of Jesus. That's all I need. Not how great my love is. Not all the sacrifices I've made. It's just, I love you. And I love because he first loved me, not because I first loved him. And that's the whole thing about he gave his son to those loving God. All things work together for good. What what is this good? All things work together for good, and it centers around the rest of that sentence. His purpose, where the last part of that says, to those who have been called according to his purpose. 
That's where we're going. According to his purpose. We're going to probably look at that more next week because it's tied together with the following sentences. But the good centers to his purpose, not my purpose. What's my purpose? When it's just me. What's my purpose? My purpose is I want comfort. I want security. I want safety. And my prayers are, Lord, help me, protect me, get me this job, bless me with health, bless me with more money. Those are all kind of self-centered prayers that, I, that are really focused more to my purpose than his. And I want you to know that none of those prayers are particularly bad prayers, especially when, in light of the previous verse when the Holy Spirit takes those weak prayers and terrible prayers, and he lines them with God's good rather than my good. And it, it, it's go, all these things are going toward according to his purpose. Just, just a thought that came in my mind. How is it that all things can work together for good according to his purpose when my purpose is often out of alignment with his purpose? Because God is bigger than my purposes. He can change me, and he can direct me toward his purpose, even when I'm not doing a real good, good job walking that direction. What is God's ultimate purpose? What is God's purpose for us? What, what is he taking all these things, bad and good, and he blending them all together? What's the good result that he's trying to achieve? And verse 29 answers that. To be conformed to the likeness of his son. Here's, just, just get down to it. It's not, you know, that my mortgage is paid. That's not the good that he's talking about. That's good when it happens, but that's not the good he's talking about. The good that is the best that in all circumstances he wants to work out is that you will be like his son. That's what he's working toward. And now I can see it because I'm such a knucklehead. Sometimes I need some hard lessons to teach me to be like his son. And so I can look at some of the bad things in my life and I can say, you know, as hard as that was and as much as I would not go through that again, that matured me, that helped me, that strengthened me. It made me rely on God when I was relying on myself. And so he's working for the very best. The gospel is God-centered, is Christ-centric. God wants the very best for you. He's working all things out for the, not only the good, but the very best. And that best is a transformation of your life into the image of his son, bit by bit, step by step. The ultimate good that God is working toward is that you be like Jesus. Psalms 73 speaks to our struggle. We, I, I'm not, I, we don't have time to go through this whole psalm, so I've just picked out certain things. And the psalmist here, he's looking at life, and he's trying to figure out. It's, it's a tough thing here. And he starts out saying this, Surely God is good. Surely he is. I know he is. Surely God is good. And then he goes on to say, 
But as for me, my feet almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Yeah, God is good, but I'm hanging on by my fingernails, is what he's saying. I'm barely doing, I'm barely hanging in there. Because when I look around you, me, things aren't that good. I envy the arrogant. I look at arrogant people and I envy them because of what they got, what they have. They have no struggles. These people have no struggles. And here I am struggling and I love God. I know God's good and I'm hanging in there. And those heathens have no struggles. They're not plagued by human ills. Yeah, I, I, it's all on me and these people are just living this carefree life. That's what he said. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They increase in wealth. Yeah, I'm barely making a living. And here this person who, who curses and swears and does everything against God and mocks God. And here he is living in wealth and carefree. And he gets to go on all these vacations. And life is grand for him. And God, I can barely hang on. But I know you're good. Surely you're good. That's the whole first half of that psalm. And then he goes on and he says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. It oppressed me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Sanctuary of God now is the Holy Spirit living in the Spirit. And said, when I finally entered that sanctuary and, and realized where I was, then I understood their final destiny. And he goes on. I have to stand over here to read this. Yet, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you'll take me to glory. I know that's going to happen. I'm going through this life struggling, just barely hanging on. And I know, I know I'm always with you. I know that. I don't always feel it, but I know it. I don't always see it, but I know it. And you're holding me by my hand. You've got me. I know you've got me. I know you have me. And, and I learn from you. I get counsel from you through the, your word. And after, I know you're going to take me to glory. I know that's going to happen. And then he says, but as for me, it is good. This is the good to be near God. I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And I will tell of all your deeds. It's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 73. If you're struggling with the Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good, I don't know, I can't, I can't. You can relate to Psalms 73. I'm hanging on by my fingernails, God, but I'm, I, surely you're good. Surely you're good. And I know you are. Summing this up in expanded paraphrase. On top of all this, we know that God blends together everything in our lives, all the ups and downs, from the sublime to the hoard, like a master chef, his final product for us is good. This is for God lovers, those who have heard God's call and are day by day and step by step moving resolutely toward his ultimate purpose. God bless us as we continue to, in faith, know that God works all things together for good to those who love him.